tastiest beans. History happened everywhere. My name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the HHE studio with the you goose to my Uganda. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, uh, it's a non-existent thing that I thought might chime in with the country that we've got today. Bit of a spoiler involved there. Oh, OK. Fair enough. Now, unfortunately, Ryan and I have been unavoidably detained, but we didn't want to leave you empty-handed, so we have prepared this out-of-office special by Dursalator a one-off place, time and topic. That's right, for our out-of-office special, the Dursalator randomly generated snacks in Uganda during the 1990s. Yum! <laughs> and as it's an out-of-office episode, Ryan and I will each take turns to share our discoveries. But first, Ryan, why don't you tell everyone what we've got in store? Yes, I will. In this flavour-filled hot pocket of an episode, we are going to unwrap the truth behind the entrepreneur whose tasty products were more than a mouthful for hungry Ugandans. We'll find out why one delectable dish changed the name of an entire neighbourhood and we'll nibble in terror at the dictator whose passion for long pig saw him snacking on bowls of human flesh. Welcome to the Pearl of Africa. Welcome to the Switzerland of Africa. Welcome to Uganda. Uganda, I don't know much about it. I'm hoping to find out more. So why don't you get us oriented? Tell us where we are. Okay, get out a map, everyone. Put a pin in the very centre of Africa. Head east a tiny little bit and you're in the Republic of Uganda. It's a landlocked nation, so there's no sea. But you've got neighbours including Kenya, South Sudan, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda and Tanzania. It's one big party. (laughs) I'm sure it is. And what else can you tell us about it? How big is it? Tell us more. Well, it covers an area of about... 241,000 square kilometres. That's about 93,000 square miles for the people who love miles. And uh, you're going to be delighted to learn, Pete, that Uganda is roughly the same size as France. It's a France. That's good. I always find it weirdly satisfying when we find an exact same size as a France country. Well done, Uganda. It has a generally tropical climate with land that includes rainforests, savannas, freshwater lakes and mountains. And within all of those areas, you're going to find animals. Lots of animals. Animals like elephants and lions and chimpanzees. And also, you're also going to find mountain gorillas. Uh, Although you're going to have to look a little bit carefully because they are an endangered animal. And they're in the mist. (laughs) They are in the mist. (laughs) But there's only around 500 of them left in the wild. Oh no. So, yeah. Now, aside from the animals, over 45 million people live in Uganda, many of whom live in the largest and the capital city called Kampala. Kampala. Sounds like an African deer. Yeah, it does. You're right. See the Kampala leap across the Serengeti. Uh, 56 indigenous languages are spoken in Uganda, but English remains the official language. And I'm sure, Pete, as we get to the history section, you'll tell us why. (laughs) I will. Yes. The Ugandan flag is made up of six horizontal stripes. That's black, yellow, red, black, yellow, red. And in the centre is the national animal, the grey-crowned crane. It's a long-legged bird, Pete. It pair bonds with its partner and stays with them for life, which is very cute, especially when you consider they can live for up to 80 years. Wow. Imagine one crane to its partner. It's like, oh, I'm sick of you. 
You'd think with being a crane, you'd be able to pick up another one. Nice crane joke. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the national anthem, it's called, Oh, Uganda, land of beauty. (laughs) Oh, the way you said that. Oh, Uganda. (laughs) That's how it's written. Crazy (laughs) Uganda. I I think that's how they intended it to be said. (laughs) It was adopted in 1962, shortly after their independence, and it was written by George Wilbur. Force Kokoma, who uh, supposedly created the anthem in just one single day based on the uh, national competition's rules, which said to keep the anthem short, original, solemn, praising, and looking forward to the future. And it goes a little something like this. Oh, sprightly. I like this one, it goes at a nice clip. Feels optimistic, looking to the future. The guy hit the brief nicely. Well, it's funny you should say that because this national anthem actually is unique in Africa for the fact that the anthem's lyrics don't mention any battles, conflicts or military strength. It focuses just on natural beauty and aspirations for the future. I like it. I feel warm and upbeat about it. Big finish. Oh, here we go. Nice. Rousing bridge or whatever that is. Yeah. Super short though, isn't it? 44 seconds. Amazing. Nice. I liked it very much, actually. Uganda facts! Lay it on me, brother. Did you know that Uganda has moon trees? I did not, and nor do I know what a moon tree is. What do you think a moon tree is? It's a tree that blossoms under the light of the moon. In a way, when NASA's Apollo 14 mission headed into space, they took with them some Ugandan tree seeds to try and grow in their laboratory on the moon. And when they returned back to Earth, the sprouted seeds were then planted back in the ground in Uganda. And these moon trees are said to still be growing, although their exact location has not been publicised, otherwise everyone would have their own moon tree. Someone must know. Someone out there knows. Go on, send it to us. We won't do anything terrible. I mean, that's a remarkable fact, but the fact that you can grow a tree on cheese is even more interesting. Oh dear. Yes, we'll have this talk later. (laughs) Talking of the moon, Pete. Oh, is this going to be a famous Ryan Link? (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that Uganda has moon mountains too? (laughs) I did not. They didn't grow a mountain out in space, did they? They did not, no. The Renzori mountain range in Uganda, it contains six of the highest mountains in Africa. And each of these mountains have snow-capped peaks, meaning that Uganda is one of the few countries in the world where snow can be found on the equator. That's a good fact. You wouldn't have thought that you can find snow on the equator, but there it is. 2,000 years ago, a Greek merchant called Diogenes, he travelled to East Africa and he claimed to have found snow-capped peaks, which he said the natives called the Mountains of the Moon. Uh, He said that the mountains were the source of the River Nile, the longest river in Africa. And that was, of course, a legend. Until... (laughs) 1862, when British explorers James Grant and John Speak, they went in search of the actual source of the Nile, and they ventured into the Moon Mountains and confirmed that the mountain was indeed the source of the River Nile. So Strike really one was for there. Diogenes. Well played, mate. How about that? Yeah, everyone thought he was a liar. But there he was in the Mountains of the Moon. Do you want another moon fact, Pete? I do want another moon fact. I'm hungry for them. Okay, what's another word for moon? Luna. Yeah, very good. So, the Uganda Railway... <laughs> <laughs> was, n- ...was nicknamed the Lunatic Express. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know why? Because it went along at a startling pace and you must be mad to get on it. <laughs> well, it was built by the British in 1895. It's a 580-mile-long railway line and it faced a number of different challenges during its construction. And it's called the Lunatic Express because if you worked on the construction, you were said to be a lunatic because you had to endure scorching deserts, dense jungles, malaria-infested swamps, collapsing tunnels, hostile tribesfolk, venomous snakes, crocodiles, elephants, and man-eating lions. In fact, a total of 2,500 Indian workers died over the five-year period it took to build the railway. But the buffet car was well worth it in the end. Yeah, what do you have in the way of the juice line? <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff, Ryan. Any more moon facts or have you uh, mooned out? I am all out of moon facts, Pete. It is time to crescent the next section. Oh, my good Lord. Crescent, like the moon. Should we do something else first? (laughs) Like a crescent moon. (laughs) Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Do you know where I can buy some skinny feels? Some what? Skinny feels? Never heard of them, mate. Well, I think they're a snack of some kind, because I heard this supermodel, right, Kate Moss, she said that nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Oh, right. So if nothing tastes as good as them, I want to find a packet and give them a go. Ryan. Yes, Pete? You're an idiot. What she said was, nothing tastes as good as skinny eels. Eels? Yeah. What, like the fish? Yeah, they're some kind of local delicacy, probably. Huh. Gross. Well, yeah, that's how you stay thin. All righty, Peter. I just told you about Uganda. Why don't you tell me about Uganda's history? I will, my friend. I will go back, let's say, 50 to 100,000 years ago to get us started. Yes, tell me old history. I think you know who was there. Early man doing his thing, making stone tools like axes. He's creating rock art, such as that that you can find in Niero in Uganda. Mm. But around 3,000 years ago, so about 1,000 BCE, whoever was in the area at that time was probably displaced by the arrival of the Bantu speakers. We've come across this before in other episodes, uh, the Bantu expansion, which is why you find Bantu speakers across quite a lot of Africa. Uh, And now we're going to do a massive fast forward. There's, There's no way around it. Basically, tribes and king groups would cooperate and conflict and centuries would pass but nobody was writing anything down, Ryan, as we've seen also frequently in Africa during this period. Mm. Uh, So we're going to leap ahead to the 13th century, where we see the first real empire that we know of in this area. Uh, Now, the oral history of the Nioro people tells of a dynasty of kings known as the Chawezi. 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 They ruled an empire called the Bunyoro-Kitara Empire. This was a Bantu kingdom in Western Uganda. It's one of the most powerful kingdoms in Central and East Africa from about the 13th century all the way through to the 19th century. And in fact, the kingdom of Bunyoro Kitara kind of still exists in a way. In 1993, this and some other traditional kingdoms were re-established and are a recognised part of modern Uganda. I love that. That's fantastic. So how old is that kingdom then? I guess it goes from the 1300s to now. So old, really old, Ryan. Wow. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't the only kingdom in the area, as it probably won't surprise you to learn. Another kingdom that grew up in the area was called Buganda. Which sounds a little bit like someone (laughs) trying to conceal the name Uganda poorly. But uh, the people of Buganda actually expanded into Bunyoro territory. And in the 19th century, Buganda was a dominant state in the area. Apparently it had its own canoe navy of 230 war canoes. Oh, wow. Imagine that coming at you. Right. An army of 125,000 people. Imagine that coming at you. Right. And that's all according to the explorer, Henry Morton Stanley, who you may have heard of. Imagine him coming towards you. Oh, yeah. Henry Morton Stanley 
finally visited Buganda's capital, which is called Lubaga, which was a city itself of 40,000 people back in the day. That's a lot of people for back in the day, isn't it? It is a fair number, a significant centre of trade and activity, clearly. I was going to say, you need a lot of infrastructure and stuff to support 40,000 people all living together. I would say so. Now, in the late 1800s, there was increasing contact with Arab and European explorers. Traders and missionaries came, so they brought Islam, Protestantism and Catholicism to the area, and consequently a healthy dose of religious conflict. Hooray! Everyone loves a bit of religious conflict. In fairness, it was hardly a haven of peace before. I think it's just a new excuse to fight, isn't it? The various interested parties jockey for influence in the area until basically the British win out in the end. In 1894, they create the Uganda Protectorate. Ooh, what's that? Well, it's not a colony. So Uganda was not colonised. It was uh, had a little bit of self-government, but probably not a warm partnership of brother alongside brother. I think there was a dominant power there. But uh, yeah, they were not technically colonised. Do you think that's in part due to the fact that they were landlocked? Like it's harder to get to? Yeah, it is quite tricky to get to, isn't it? So I suspect that was probably a factor. But the protectorate itself expanded and this protectorate becomes the area that we basically know as Uganda today. And as you say, it also built railways. And the building of the railways, you mentioned mostly Indian. Actually, they brought about 32,000 labourers over from British India to build the railways. That's a lot. That is a lot. And India was also the source of what might be called colonial middle managers, if you like. So the result of both of these things was quite a big population of people of Indian descent living in Uganda. Imagine those coming towards you. (laughs) Imagine. Well, you don't have to, actually, because uh, there's a bit more to come on that. But in World War II, um, Uganda was on the side of the British. Unsurprisingly, 77,000 Ugandan soldiers served in the King's African rifles, contributing to the defeat of the Axis powers. Yay. After World War II, we've seen this happen time and time again, a push for independence, and in 1962, Uganda became an independent country. Good. Also that we've seen, particularly in African nations where you have tribal and previously kingdom divides, there's some challenges, some conflicts. Uh, you had the Kingdom of Buganda and the Bunyoro Kingdom. Obviously, they had history and they had beef. This kind of crystallises into a bit of an ethnic divide between Bantu and Nilotic peoples. So you've got a bit of conflict going on internally in newly formed independent Uganda. Okay. Now, all this division eventually leads to a coup, a military coup. In 1971, a military uprising installed a British-trained soldier called Idi Amin. I've heard of him. You have heard of him. Terrible man. He embraced the worst behaviours of dictators and is, according to Wikipedia, quote, considered one of the most brutal despots in modern world history. Oh, right. Yeah, somewhere between 80,000 and half a million Ugandans were killed under his regime. Imagine him coming towards you. Well, the reason you might see the Indians coming towards you is he expelled the Indian people of his country, gave them just 90 days to leave, allowing them to take no more than $120 with them and £485 or 220 kilos of property. So... Basically, just within three months, said you got to get out, and they had to just leave on pain of death. Uh, I assume so, because they certainly made their move. Uh, anyone who's anti-immigration listening and thinks this sounds like a brilliant idea, the immediate effect of this was to completely tank the Ugandan economy. Uh, now, it's also claimed that Idi Amin actually indulged in cannibalism. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's not super clear as to whether he really did and was an actual cannibal in the way we understand it, whether he was actually referring to sort of blood rituals, so sort of symbolic ritual consuming of one's enemies. Mm-hmm. It might even be that he's just something he said to scare people because he wanted to be a scary dictator and it wasn't actually true at all. But broadly speaking, it's pretty plausible that he was uh, munching on people there. As a general rule, it, it tends to be that you can't really put a lot of faith in what a dictator tells you, right? 
No, indeed. You can't really trust him. But then again, he did earn the nickname The Butcher of Uganda. So quite plausible that he did it. I wouldn't say it's necessarily certain. Oh, man. Now, Idi Amin was eventually removed from power for obvious reasons in 1979 after the Uganda-Tanzania war. And since then, the country has been a democracy, although I would observe the current president, Yoweri Museveni, has been in office since 1986, which makes me <laughs> ask a few questions. Uh, and that included... Uh, years. Well, exactly. And that, that was uh, including the term limits, which there was a rather convenient vote to remove when he wanted to be the president again. So uh, don't know exactly what's going to happen next what will come after Museveni could be a move back towards democracy or it could be the start of another unelected dynasty so watch this space Ryan but in any event as ever we wish the people of Uganda a safe and prosperous future I certainly do oh Uganda (laughs) (laughs) chef his Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Hajj, Dr. Idi Amin, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular, has made his breakfast order. Righto. He would like to feast on the flesh of his defeated enemies. Again? Yes. And consume their power and take it for his own, rendering him omnipotent. Righto. Anything else? Yes. He would like them crushed symbolically between two edible gravestones. OK, so one meat sandwich, yeah? Yeah. He demands a breakfast that represents... The the yawning earth that awaits all of his foes now and forever into the future. Sure, but does he want any sauce with it? Ketchup, please. Coming up. Oh, and can he have his crust cut off? Service! So, Ryan, why don't you get us kicked off? Tell me what you found about snacks in Uganda in the 90s. All right, Pete. So, in Kenya, in the 1950s... <laughs> 13-year-old Hasmuk Dorda, he found himself living in so much poverty that he had to drop out of school, Pete, to help make money to support his family. Not going to school. But trying to sell things within a small community of equally poor people was extremely difficult, as you might imagine. Mm, You need the richer people to buy things. Indeed. But that was when he hit upon the idea of creating a product which was cheap to make, cheap to sell, and better yet, that people wanted to actually buy. Things like yummy and delicious snacks. Ooh! So he set about making a whole bunch of confectionery, like biscuits that were filled with sugar and fat and salt, all the things that people craved but were cheap to acquire. And so, with hard work, Dorda sold loads of these snacks across his community and he was able to start to expand his business. First, he saved enough money to buy a pickup truck, and then later, he bought an entire retail shop within his village. So that, pretty much in of itself, is a success story, wouldn't you say? I'd say so. But Dorda's ambition doesn't stop there, Pete. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uganda. Oh, Uganda. (laughs) (laughs) No. What Dorda started to do was use some of his profits to start processing molasses. Oh, and selling cotton as well, and fresh fruit. All uh, things that he could bring into his store, brought directly to him from the local farmers. So he's starting to spread himself out a little bit, a little bit entrepreneurial, so he is. I like this guy. And by 1975, Dorda's wealth has grown to such a level that he begins construction on his first factory. Now, he called it 
Uhulo factory, and it allowed him to increase the amount of molasses that he could produce. And in fact, he was so successful at molasses production that not only does the factory still operate today, but it actually funded the opening of another factory, which he called Jambo Biscuits. Jambo, Ryan. That's hello in Kenyan. Do you know that for fact? Yeah. Oh, right. Do you know Kenyan? <laughs> I don't know. Just one of my things that I picked up along the way. Just picked up. Right. Okay. You don't just actually talk Kenyan. Okay. Anyway, so with Dorda's insistence that jambo biscuits be made out of premium ingredients and have like this strict quality control, the factory started to roll out packet after packet of these consistently delicious products that people across Kenya loved. And the success of his Hulo at Jambo Factories gave Dorda the capital to kickstart his real dream, a confectionery manufacturing conglomerate called House of Dorda. Nice, Kenya Wonka. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> biscuits, biscuits, lovely do. I've got a chocolate <laughs> covered for you. And the House of Dorda Group started to acquire other companies. They started to grow out their product lines, and eventually they became this formidable snack-based empire. So much so that by the 1980s, House of Dorda Group began to look to expand elsewhere. And that is where, in 1991, they did exactly that, opening an office in Kampala, Uganda, under the name Britannia Allied Industries Limited. They opened in 90s in Uganda to make snacks, you say? I did indeed, yeah. <laughs> so, focused initially on the production of biscuits, Britannia introduced to Uganda modern machinery. And this allowed automation of their processes throughout the production, which was a lot more efficient, a lot more hygienic. And it helped to establish Britannia as the leading player in Ugandan confectionery. They had a whole bunch of popular brands, things you might find on the shelves today. Things like the classic Britannia Marie biscuit. Oh, I love a Marie biscuit. Of course. The choco cookies. Mm. How about those cream crackers with mint? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about the butter biscuits? Oh, butter biscuits. Lovely. Of course, you'll have heard of the munch and the choco range of creamy chocolate bars. Who doesn't love a choco munch? The cocoa bites. Love it. The little hearts. I'm in favour. The Britannia toffees. Mm, delicious. The masala rings. You've gone too far, Kenya Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> the go fruit bars. Ooh. And of course, the nutties. Oh, I love a nutty. Sounds great. I want all of these now. <laughs> yeah. Except perhaps the masala thing. No, the masala rings sound good. So they're like half potato chip and then half corn stuff. Oh, it's a weird... Okay. They're called 50-50, yeah. And they're just flavoured with a type of masala. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was thinking chocolate. I was thinking masala chocolate, which is what put me off, but I was clearly on the wrong track. You were very wrong. No, no, no. That's a little half potato snack. Anyway, most of these snacks come in small bite-sized options and there are sugar-free biscuits available for those that are health conscious. But best of all, Britannia's products are priced so that they are accessible to all. One box, Pete, of Britannia Marie biscuits today costs around 1,000 Ugandan shillings, which of course you know is about 14 British pence or 17 US cents. Bargain at any price. For a box of biscuits, that's pretty cheap. It's not bad at all. A munch chocolate bar that comes in at half that price. Just 500 Ugandan shillings, which is just seven British pence or eight and a half US cents. You're going to make me say, I remember when a wham bar was 5p. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, today, the House of Dorda Group, it remains a pillar of East African business. Their uh, Britannia Allied Industries business in Uganda is a tentpole business, and they see it as their uh, effort to, in quotes, sweeten lives across Uganda. Oh. And that's kind of true, because not only do they produce the snacks that people enjoy, but the company also invests heavily in the community. They've provided jobs, they've helped to develop the community. In fact, they've won several awards in recognition for their contributions to Ugandan society, having invested heavily in initiatives to improve education and healthcare. And in fact, Dorda's story is one of resilience. It's one of innovation and commitment to the community. And even to this day, there is a lasting legacy that inspires the future generations of entrepreneurs, just like young Dorda. I love it. Oh, that's great. That's quite uplifting and delicious. Mm -mm. Pass me a nutty. Do you want to know some of the other treats? Yeah, go on. Milk bickies. Mm. Little hearts. Pure magic. Pure magic, I like it. The cashew nut. That's just a nut. (laughs) The the family biscuit. It's one massive biscuit. (laughs) Everyone round the table (laughs) nibbling on their bit of the biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how about that? Nice. All right, anyway, there you go. That was good stuff, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thanks, Pete. Hello? Oh, Hasmuk, shouldn't you be at school? Madam, I am here today to offer you the opportunity of a lifetime. Oh, really? Yes. The world is conflicted on many things, Mrs. Dorder, but if there's one thing we can all agree upon, it's biscuits. Biscuits? Do you have any biscuits in your cupboards today, Mrs. Dorder? I'm not sure. Well, you certainly should. A modern home is not complete without biscuits. Hasmuk, would your teacher be wondering where you are? You see, Hasmuk biscuits aren't just biscuits, Mrs. Dorder. They're a taste sensation. Well, that's nice, but really, aren't you supposed to be in class? In fact, studies have shown that one out of two of my parents prefer Hasmuk biscuits to any other make on the market. Well, your father does have a sweet tooth. <laughs> and today, for one day only, we're offering a very special introductory offer. One box of Blim Blams absolutely free with every order. OK, fine. I'll, I'll take a box of the jam biscuits. Three boxes of jam diddly dums. Excellent choice, Mrs. Dorda. Three? No, just, just the one. But what if you have guests? OK, fine. Three boxes. But hurry back to school, will you? OK, Mother. But before I go... Yes, dear? Can you bake me three dozen of your jam biscuits? Oh, yes, dear. All right, Pete, well, you've got a lot to follow up on there. Why don't you tell me the stuff that you've discovered about snacks in Uganda during the 1990s? Well, before I do that, Ryan, I was wondering, are you feeling peckish? I mean, I'm always feeling peckish, especially for a little snack. Well, I went to my local purveyor of Ugandan snacks, Ryan, uh, which it turns <laughs> out I actually have one of, which was amazing news <laughs> to me. Uh, it's really? Really? It's a place called Owino Supermarket, which has a shop in Mitcham, which is a bit of South London. To be honest, the shop itself is little more than a regular corner shop, but it's run by a chap from Kampala, uh, and he picked out some Ugandan snacks that they stock for me. Oh, wow. Uh, so I suggest have a little bit of a nibble. What do you think? Hooray! So, Ryan, um, um, they aren't Britannia snacks, I'll be honest with you. They're something slightly different. Boo! These are <laughs> top classic snacks, the first three. They are in self-sealed little clear plastic bag uh, as you can see with what i can only describe as a small sticker slapped on the front (laughs) Um, yeah that doesn't sound like a daughter snack it does not but nevertheless these are shipped in from uganda and we're going to start with mixed g nuts and hard corns 
Okay. Hard corns is what my mum had on her feet. It does sound grim, doesn't it? But I think actually G-nuts is ground nuts. So I think we're talking about peanuts and tasty corn. Yeah, try a bit of this. I love nuts in my mouth. <laughs> right, here we go. How bad can this be, really? That is peanuts and corn. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I, it's one of my favourite things, peanuts and corn. For some reason, the combination of those two things, I love it. I really? eat these all night. Well, good news. Faintly salty is what I'll describe those as. Okay, next up, in a similar-looking bag with a similar-looking sticker, we have roasted soya. These are like little tiny, just much smaller, like little pips. Okay. Right. Little pips, yeah. Okay. All right, give us some. There we go. Ooh. I should probably get the taste of peanut and corn out of my mouth first, but here we go. Yeah. I would say not appreciably different to the nuts and ground corn. It's a salty, <laughs> hard snack. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a, I'm more of a fan of the first snack. I think these are pretty standard so far, but the next one I think you're going to like. These are called okay. Sim Sim. Yeah, what's a Sim Sim when it's at home? Well, as you can see, little balls, little balls mm -hmm. about the size of a large marble or a child's eyeball, I would say. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And these seem to be sesame seed, I think. Here we go. That's sesame seed. Pulling them out. Here we go. Okay. Oh, they're quite hard. They're not. I thought they were going to be squidgy. Here we go. Yeah, they're quite hard. Now I was worried for your teeth then for a minute. I'd hang this up for the birds. It's quite tasty though. I do like a sesame seed. <laughs> You'd hang it up for the birds outside, did you just say? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> mm, it is delicious. Yeah. It's sort of compacted ball of sesame seeds. I thought there was going to be something different inside it, but it's nice actually. It's not too sweet. I, I like that. That's my favourite so far. How many could you eat of those in a row? One. They're very dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair enough. And finally, something a bit more glamorous. I feel bad I didn't bring any uh, Britannia snacks. Well, you failed. What can I say? Uh, what I have here is Urban Gweke. Urban Gweke has got a little sort of superhero who I thought was a banana, but I realise now is corn, which makes a lot more sense because it is a ready-to-eat maize snack. Oh, I love maize. All right, come on then. Let's get it open. <coughs> you okay there? Is this where you told me you're allergic to sesame seeds <laughs> and nuts? <laughs> no, the, uh, over, the overwhelming common factor is they are very dried goods. <laughs> mm. Which doesn't make sense in the heat of Africa, does it? Maybe it preserves them better, I would imagine. I'd be thinking juicy snacks. Nice chalk ice. Yeah. Britannia will sort you out. <laughs> mm. Okay, here we go. Anytime you like. Harder to get in, harder to access than I expected. Hang in there, listeners. This right, must here be we go. fascinating listening. Nice big packet. We'll put a picture on the uh, TikToks and websites and whatnot. Here we yep. go. I like the logo on it. That's cool. Hmm. This has got a lot more flavour, I think you'll agree. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the spice is kicking in. A little bit spicy, yeah. I like. I love spicy snacks. That's my favourite type of snack. Definitely my favourite, this one. It does say bursting with flavour as well. It does. Which and I it would is. say is true. That's not a lie. <laughs> Good God, Pete, you okay? Do I need to give you the Heimlich? Snack in my throat. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favourite. Well done, Urban Gweke. I did check Urban Gweke on Twitter, and they do have a Twitter account. They did tweet in uh, 2022. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send them a note and say thanks for the snacks, guys. So there you go, Ryan, some actual Ugandan snacks. Amazing. Nice one, Pete. That was awesome, wasn't it? Right, but that's not knowledge. We're here for knowledge, not food, Ryan. 
That's right. Tell me knowledge. So I'm going to talk about another snack now. But uh, first, I want to tell you a little bit about the 1990s in Uganda. So this was a period where they were relaxing a lot of the restrictions that they'd had on the economy. They'd had a kind of communist Marxist centralized economy for a while, and it was being relaxed. There was a sort of sense of optimism about the nation. In June 1990, foreign currency markets were opened up. In 1991, the Uganda Revenue Authority was created. That was a tax collecting organization. So more taxes to improve public finances. In 1992, the state monopoly on the airwaves ended so you could get private tv channels starting up in 1992 british airways resumed flights to uganda so this is all the sense of things blossoming and growing and becoming more positive i feel the energy and importantly for the snack world there were shortages that were ending now so salt and sugar were more available than they were before they're pretty important in the snack market right so all in all it was a period of loosening up Now, if you wanted to loosen up, there were few better places to go in Kampala, which you've already told us is the capital of Uganda, than an area known as Kabalagala. Kabalagala. This is a neighbourhood. It's still there today and it's famous for restaurants and bars and nightclubs. It's a place to go and have a good time. I love it. Well, by that, I also mean it is home to the Red Light District, or at least a Red Light District. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, interestingly, the area was originally known as Kisugu, but it's changed over time. I'm not sure exactly when it changed, but I'm going to say it was the 90s for the purposes of linking to the topic. But as people headed to the area to be merry and drink and do whatever else they might want to do in the area, enterprising locals realised those people would also want to eat. Yeah, they do. They're going to be tired out. Right, exactly. They're going to need a snack. So street vendors would pop up and they'd tout their wares by shouting Kabalagala to motorists and passers-by. What's the name of the place? No, because... The Kabalagala is, in fact, the name of a type of Ugandan snack. And the snack actually gave the place its name because of these street vendors shouting Kabalagala. Wow. That's like having a town called Biscuit. Nice, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, over time, yeah, as I say, the name Kisugu was kind of faded away and the whole region became known as Kabalagala after this snack. That's amazing. How about that? I don't exactly know when that happened, but Mm. I think we can put together that the 90s, the shortages ending, the economy opening up, certainly this area would have livened up in this period. But what is Kabalagala? I hear you wonder. Yeah, I want to know. What are they selling? It's kind of a pancake. It's made from sweet bananas, cassava flour, and I guess sometimes it's spiced with local peppers as well. Okay, that sounds delicious. It does. And better still, it doesn't use eggs or milk, so it's dairy-free. It's also vegan. Cassava flour is also gluten-free. So basically, pretty much anyone can eat these things, as far as I can make out. Nice. They're not really like pancakes as you and I know them. They're like discs, quite thick, circular fried brown they look in the pictures i've seen they look a little bit like banana bread or malt loaf they've got a kind of chewy looking consistency i've only seen them in pictures so i don't know for sure but they are supposed to be quite chewy they're not light and fluffy they're chewy snacks okay they're made of banana as i say but not just any banana you need kabalagala bananas which are sometimes also confusingly known as apple bananas yeah that is confusing (laughs) it's really confusing isn't it would you like apples or bananas (laughs) apparently these have a richer and creamier flavor than the bananas that you and i are more used to and they're a little bit stumpier from what i could see again in the pictures that is on my bucket list now to try an apple banana i think you should that sounds delicious <laughs> obviously i looked up a recipe for kabalagala online and it goes a bit like this you peel your bananas and you place them in the bowl and mash them up till you get smooth paste you add sugar and baking soda and mix it all up you add cassava flour to the mashed banana until you get a dough formed 
And then you mm -hmm. use a cookie cutter or a cup or something to cut round shapes out and you fry those until they're brown and fragrant and you serve them warm, often with a bit of sugar sprinkled on the top as well. Yeah. But I actually started out on this quest to understand what a Kabbalah gala was by a blog that I found from someone called Isaac Imarka, who is a journalist who at one time was working at the Miami Herald. Okay. So he remembers his time there and they arranged, I guess, a cultural exchange session with his colleagues. And he said they made the room up to give a Ugandan feel, including... Ugandan music, notably the Afrigo bands Ayuani Emali, which is a 1990s traditional hit. But uh, he says what really gave the place a Ugandan feel was his colleague who showed up with a dish of Kabbalah Gala, complete with a condensation that forms and keeps trickling down the walls of the dish due to the steam whose circular golden brown cakes produce when sealed in a container. When she eventually opened the container, the sweet scent that exclusively belongs to Ugandan pancakes swam in the wind and within no time there was a Ugandan feel in the room. Oh, wow. So that, Ryan, is why I chose that snack from Uganda in the 1990s to tell you about today. Where's mine? I want to try one. I, I'm, I'm just so hungry now. This episode is just... Yum, 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 I know. I would have made the pancakes had I known where one might find apple bananas and had a little more time. But uh, now you just have to imagine them or make them for yourself at home. We will, of course, publish the recipe. Sounds good. That was nice. Thanks, Pete. No worries, man. Have another Tim Tim. <laughs> okay. Cheers. I might get a glass of water to go with it, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. Try it warm. Try it cold. However you try it, you'll love Kabbalah Lala. Cut. Oh, what? Wait, it's Kabbalah Gala. Well, what did I say? Kabbalah Lala. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. Let's go again. Try it warm. Try it cold. However you try it, you'll love Kabbalah Bala. No, no, can you try again? Okay, sorry, sorry. Try it warm. Try it cold. However you try it, you'll love Kagala Gala. No, no, it's Kabbalah Gala. Oh, Kate, okay, sorry, sorry. You'll love Kabbalah Bala. No. Kabbalah Lager. No. Kabbalah Lala? No, Kabbalah Gala. Okay, okay, sorry. Right, I think I've got it. Try it warm, try it cold. However you try it, you'll love Kabbalah Gala. Yes, yes, you've got it. Well done. Oh, great. Right, what's next? Well, there's a couple of adverts here. One for a local beer called Kampala Lager. One for a fancy event about Jewish mysticism called the Kabbalah Gala. And finally, we're talking to a secretive group of people called Kala, known as the Kabbalo Kalas. So, in your own time. Right, OK. Um, just out of interest, have we booked the studio for a long time? All night. OK, good. Introducing the fresh, clean beer of Uganda. Try Kampala Lala today. No, cut. Well, Ryan, I thought that was a fascinating journey to Uganda to discover snacks in the 1990s, despite your attempt to start out somewhere different, somewhere different. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed it. That was excellent stuff. Thanks, mate. I love having an out-of-office episode where we get to eat food. It's good. Yeah, it's always a bonus, isn't it? Now, as this is an out-of-office episode, there is no derslating here, so we will not be generating the next topic. It will just be back to normal service in the next episode. That's right. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Now, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or if you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us through the website, hhepodcast.com, or email Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we love hearing from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. 
And if you're on Mastodon, Instagram, Facebook or X, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post extra content. You know, facts we didn't use, photos from the products that we ate, other bits and bobs. That's right. And of course, we'll be back again soon with... The Verdict. But until then, a huge thanks to you, Ryan. And a thanks to you, Pete. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. You know how, like, we're out of the office at the moment? Yes. Well, when we get back to the office, I was wondering, could I have a new office chair? Well, what's wrong with the one I got you? Well, it's just a bit stiff and uncomfortable. Oh, right. Well, I mean, it was a gift, but you feel that way and want to just chuck it away for something else. Oh, no, no, no. I'm... I am grateful for the gift. I just have to sit on it all day, and, and I think, yeah, maybe I should get something that's a bit more ergonomic. Oh, I see. I suppose you want some la-dee-da chair with lumbar support and reclining this, that and the other. Yeah, like yours. Oh, I see. This is about my chair, is it? Just because it's a top-of-the-line chair with memory foam padding, a bit of elbow support and a nice headrest, do you think I'm comfortable, do you? Well, it does look comfortable, yeah. I tell you, Ryan, every day is agony sitting in that chair. I look at you, hunched comfortably on your stool. I I wish I had a stool like yours. Really? Yes, really. But you don't see me begging for it, do you? Well, I mean, we could just swap. No. Oh. I mean, honestly, you're so ungrateful. I know. Well, I won't ask again. Good. Now straighten up. My feet are starting to slip off your back. Righto. Captain Alex is so dead. Who killed the Captain Alex? Swaznegar.